Hi, everybody, and I am so excited to have Charlotte Kemp, who is both um, an inspiring leader in the professional speaking world and a very good friend of mine, uh, to talk to us today. She is a futures alchemist, and she has so much insight into future futures thinking and 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 how that this can really help us in our lives and in our creation of well-being and so i'm so excited to have charlotte here to chat to me today and share her insights buckle up we are going to have a really exciting chat when i first thought about futures thinking and first heard what charlotte was doing i thought to myself in the quiet uh, of my mind, mm, that's not really something I need because I don't like futures thinking. I hate sci-fi and actually I'm all about living in the present. So I don't have uh, any need for Charlotte's input. But slowly as I've listened to her talk, um, I have become a lot less ignorant and I've understood uh, the era of my narrow thinking in this domain and I have opened up my mind and I now see enormous value in futures thinking and that's why I really wanted Charlotte to be with us today to share uh, her insights and and help us use this aspect as we move towards creating well-being for ourselves. So welcome Charlotte, thank you for giving up your precious time to be with us this morning and uh, lucky us for having you here. Thank you Sue. Can you tell us a little bit about you and uh, your um, very unusual topic, uh, futures thinking, and your very unusual description of yourself as a, as a futures alchemist? Can you tell us what that means and uh, put us in the picture of what futures thinking is all about? Great. Sue, so thank you very much. Uh, a lot of people, when they think about futures thinking, they automatically think about the science fiction. Uh, which is fine for me because I actually love science fiction. They're great scenarios for potential futures. But they also often think about like crystal ball gazing, like um, futures thinking is prediction. What are the lotto numbers is a question I'm asked far too often for rational people. Um, what is happening next? Um, what's going to happen with the uh, the elections? And these kinds of things are not not the kind of work we do. We don't predict the future. Futures thinking is about preparing for the future. So I love your initial concern that you want to be in the present moment. So why would you want to think about the future? It's the future is full of unknowns. And because it's unknown to us, it causes that internal anxiety and stress uh, because we don't know what is happening next. When we allow ourselves to think about the future and prepare for it, then we are actually more present in this present moment. We can do better work. We can be more aware of what is happening because we don't have part of our brain checking out of the present moment because it's worried or anxious about the future. So I think it's a very practical thing for being in the moment. And the title that I use of uh, Futures Alchemist is, it's my own title. I, I, I'm hoping you won't find another Futures Alchemist around in the world. But what it is, is it allows us to play with the concept of alchemy. So ancient alchemists did a lot of work researching. They did a lot of work collaborating with each other and sharing documents and sharing process and sharing little you know, bits of, of chemicals that might help them in their pursuit. And they were in the pursuit of two things. One is the legendary turning lead into gold, turning the ordinary into something extraordinary. 
And the other was to actually transform, to transmute, to transcend themselves. They wanted to be better people. They wanted to explore more in their minds and in their souls. They wanted to, they wanted to transcend the, the everyday in, in their lives and try and come up with, you see what was beyond that. So when we talk about um, futures alchemy, it's actually one of the uh, one of the values that I use is, is alchemy, the idea that we're going to work together. You've got elements, I've got elements. We put them together, we experiment. Uh, we talk, we discuss, we co-create something new in pursuit of something more, not, not acquisition. We're not like just talking about getting things. We're talking about becoming more of the person, the human, uh, the creative soul that we're supposed to be. That is what I'm looking at with alchemy. Wow. So there are a few things that I want to say, just listening to what you've shared. And uh, the first one is how amazingly different we all are. I mean, here I am saying I hate science fiction and you say five seconds later, you love it. And uh, that's part of the magnificent diversity of human beings. And I think that's what you're trying to say is if we could allow ourselves to, we would allow the magnificence of ourselves to emerge, not to acquire something from the outside, but rather to allow something we already have yeah. to come out. So, um, yeah, I really uh, think that's uh, a fabulous foot from which to um, start this journey of chatting. And um, I want to know, um, how do you think that this futures thinking and, uh, and understanding what the future might look like and need from you can help you with your well-being? How can that make a difference, do you think? Yeah. Well, obviously, no, but can you share that with us? <laughs> All right. So, so Sue, interesting, over the years, you and I have spoken about a, a couple of things, and you have helped me to uh, learn to understand my own body in terms of my physical reactions uh, to, to things. And, and, and the more I understand my body, I understand that my body is connected to my brain. And my brain does all the thinking and the creating. And, and I'm very much a person who lives in my brain and not in my body. So I'm trying to learn how to kind of really be grounded in things. And I know this is an unusual way to start talking about the future, but this is what I have experienced. So I live in my mind. I have always naturally created scenarios about the future, you know, like this could happen or that could happen or the next thing. And, and my, my family tell me that I, I worry too much and I dwell on things. And, and maybe I do. But what I'm trying to do is to, uh, to deal with all the unknowns, um, to kind of give myself a bit of a framework to look at. And when, we, when we're thinking about these things, when we're in our brains, when we're worried about something or anxious about the future or still hurt about the past, our brains are creating like the thoughts, but the thoughts are creating chemical reactions in our brains. And those chemicals come down into our body. And you'll probably be able to describe this better than I will. But when we're feeling the chemical reaction in our body and we're tense, our muscles are tense, um, we're not moving you know, fluidly, we're not moving enough, uh, we have kind of turmoil in our stomach, um, we're not well. <laughs> we just simply physically are not well. And too often we start going, I'm not well, I will take some tablets. I'll take something for the nausea. I'll take something for the pain. I'll take something for the muscle tension, for the headache. Um, and, and we just can put tablets into our body instead of understanding what is the cause. And the cause of the pain in the body sometimes is what is in the brain. And if we understand what is going on in the brain, it's anxiety and stress. And when we can start putting names to those things and start putting um, potential ways of responding to those concerns, then we start to actually dilute the problem where it started. 
as opposed to where it ended up in the body. So, so for me, the, I, I can tell the minute I'm anxious about the future because I can feel it in my body. And I'm going, th this is not what I expected to feel today. I haven't done anything to cause these reactions. I haven't eaten anything. So if my body is feeling like this, what am I thinking about? What am I worried about? Ah, let me sit down and think about that and come up with a logical plan. Ooh, and then all of a sudden I feel so much better. And, and I can see that I've seen the anxiety on people's faces when you talk to them about the future or, or how they physically turn away because they don't want to hear or think about the future because that is something scary. And, and our brains know that if we are avoiding something um, that is potentially scary, it's, it's trying to find a way to protect us. And so this, this is all just a cycle over and over again. So I want to get to the part where we're talking about the future in practical ways so that we can give our brain something useful to work on instead of just this unnamed, uh, you know, fear that is out there that somehow we're threatened by something that is so huge as in every day for the rest of our lives. So on a level, you're actually talking about mindfulness. You're talking about being very deliberate about paying attention to those thoughts that are going on, whether you like it or not, in the unconscious mind. And, and actually bringing them into consciousness and then saying, what do I do about these thoughts? And yeah. how do I deliberately um, uh, not avoid them, but confront them with um, a problem-solving mentality? Is that yeah. kind of... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and you put that so nicely. It is, it is mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because I never, ever imagined that uh, we would now <laughs> put this in the <laughs> mindfulness bucket. But yeah, it is mindfulness. Yeah. And, and I think what you're saying is absolutely right. If we don't become aware of what's going on in our thinking about the future, if we are just keeping on avoiding it yeah. and, and it is troubling our unconscious, then we are getting that chemical cascade into our brains and bodies. And we're victims to it. We, we really can't do anything about it until we bring it into consciousness. And, and now we have some choices. Yeah. And my work is all about choice. And how do we bring ourselves the possibility of making conscious choices about how we want things to be? So this is right up my alleyway. I didn't realize I was going to love future thinking to this degree. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this? The way you have. How, yeah, how, okay. What was your journey? Yeah. All right. So, so first of all, I I have loved science fiction right from from when I was very young, and um, it, it's just like the kind of imagining a different world, a different way that things could be, and it's not. You know, the science fiction stories are are not. It's not the Hollywood horror stories. It's not the way Hollywood portrays a story in order to sell, you know, millions of movie tickets. Um, good science fiction is just creating a scenario about what the world could look like in these, um, you know, circumstances. And, and that kind of speculative fiction allows us to then bring that back to, to, to the real world and to, to our reality and challenge us to think about the world differently. So, um, and I'm sure we'll get to it shortly, you know, talking about the different scenarios that we can play with. We, we can create some practical scenarios and science fiction is just like that. But science fiction, um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my first crush was on a, an author called Isaac Asimov. 
Uh, he was way older than I was, even when I was a young child. But he talked about science and he talked about science fiction and he, he he's had books in every part of the Dewey Decimal System. He was a prolific writer. Um, but even with science, he would bring it to, you know, to a young reader and say, look at this wonderful thing. Can you imagine what that could mean if we understand this more, if we unpack it more? And, and he just really kind of ignited this, this curiosity uh, in me in, in exploring things in the future. Then in terms of my career, I did various things, you know, financial services and, and training and um, teaching people about social media in the early days of social media. And, and then I got to a point saying, uh, the work I'm doing is good and helpful for people, but it's not feeding my soul. I want to do something and invest myself in, in a topic that is really meaningful, that has huge impact. And um, futures thinking was it. A, a, a couple of colleagues kind of um, pointed me in the, in the right direction. And I, I, I came home to futures thinking because it really does for me answer everything. It allows us to, to explore those scenarios, to imagine, to be creative, to, to be innovative, but also to be practical and like we just said, mindful in the present moment. And uh, it, it offers so many more options to people. And I find too many people saying things like, but we have no choice, there were no options, this is all we can do, uh, the, what, what, what else can we do? And when people are stuck and trapped like that, it, it breaks my heart because there are so many ways um, and we're just not conscious of thinking these things through properly to prepare ourselves for these alternatives. And, and that's why science fiction, uh, sorry, <laughs> that's why futures thinking uh, is so valuable to me because it, it gives us um, the, the philosophy, but also the very practical tools about how to prepare for the future and to appreciate this present moment in time at the same time. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that's made me afraid of futures thinking is that, uh, you know, the law of attraction sort of mentality alerted us to the fact that thoughts become things, if you like, and what we think about, we bring about. And and so, you know, I in my own thinking was, well, you know, don't think about the negative scenarios that could happen. Just bring your mind away from those all the time uh, because, you know, you don't want to bring negative things into occurrence. And, um, and so can you talk to that a little bit? Uh, you know, how do we avert our fear of, of actually bringing something into being that uh, that we we're trying not to think about. <laughs> so it, it's a it's a valid point. Um, and I've spent quite a bit of time recently really trying to unpack and understand the law of attraction and the other related laws. There's a whole range of them, like um, the law of cause and effect and, and vibration and and some others. Um, and I, I think we, we too often think about attraction too simply, as in if I think about this, it will happen. If I think about this and I want it and I put a bit of emotion, I will manifest it. And it's a little bit more complicated than that to actually manifest, to create the life or the circumstances that we want. Um, and we we do that not just by daydreaming about the future and the, the future that we want, but by actually preparing for it. So if there is something that we articulate we really want in the future, then we put a plan of action into place. We, we do the, the, the things. We do the learning or the exercises or whatever. We do the research. Uh, we prepare for that. Uh, we create the circumstances uh, in our lives. We put ourselves into the environment. We put ourselves into the right company of people so that we can bring about that ideal future. 
Um, so what we just done there is created a scenario of where we would like to be in the future and we put everything in place. And, and then we have a much higher chance of attracting that ideal future. That doesn't mean that if we think about the opposite, the negative, that, that that's not going to happen. So um, what, what we find about, so we create different scenarios. And normally a, a business person, a small business in particular, um, they get to create a business plan. And we put this business plan together. We download it from the internet. We put some information on. And that is what we assume our future will be. It's kind of like our future uh, is like our past, but 10% better. And, you know, it's going to, you know, have a little bit more money and be a little bit more successful. And that is the path most people kind of hope for. Then we fantasize about that scenario where everything is absolutely perfect. Um, and and I, I, maybe you can help to kind of explain the, the chemical reaction. So if we imagine an absolutely wonderful um, scenario, like, you know, before the end of this year, we're going to get our best clients ever. We're going to have so much business. We're going to be, you know, in demand and traveling around the world. We're going to have to hire new staff. We, we, how, are we going to have, how are we going to spend all this money and profit that we're earning? And if we sit down and imagine that, dream about that, daydream, fantasize about that, there are chemical reactions happening in our brain. So what, what would they be? The like, Dopamine. So you would you would be um, yeah pumping serotonin, dopamine, your cortisol would drop, and your um, oxytocin would raise. So all the happy hormones and the good hormones would start flooding your your body. Yeah, and and when that's happening, uh, we don't always make good decisions. Um, so like if we were in love, we would have a whole lot of those love chemicals, you know, um, and we kind of like on this drug high <laughs> that our own brains have produced. And people don't always make good decisions when they're, you know, early stages of being in love. That's why we want to wait a while before we make, you know, propositions for marriage. Um, but we're in that chemical high. We, we, we get very excited and we're physically feeling like, you know, like light hearted and, uh, and, and our eyes are wider and our smile is there and our skin is glowing because our body is now reacting to all of the chemicals in our brain. So we want to sit down and imagine that brilliant scenario for our business or for our life or for whatever circumstance we're working on and, and allow our brains and bodies to experience that and then to calm down, take a deep breath, maybe go for a walk and come back and then sit down and say, now, what would I practically need to do to achieve that? Is there a skill or a qualification that I will need in order to get that? Um, are there people in my network that I need to reach out to? Uh, would I need to hire new staff? Where would I find them? What skills would they need? Would I need extra funding from a bank or from, you know, a, a VC funder to pull off this great project? Um, how much time would I have? What what projects on my on my plate are wasting my time that I need to put out of the way in case this kind of an opportunity comes? So it's a very, very practical checklist of activities in the event that that wonderful thing happens. Hmm. And we like to do that. That is really good law of attraction. That is really, you know, putting everything in place and aligning our lives for that perfect future. Mm. So actually match your dreams. Yes. <clears throat> and you, you aren't um, sitting there waiting for it to drop out of heaven onto your lucky lap. You're actually taking the action towards what you yeah. want to manifest. All right. Yeah. So now we've got to talk about the opposite. <laughs> and that is the, the negative scenario. And this is one where for, for some people, when you say, you know, we want to discuss this and say, oh, we don't want to dwell on the negatives and we're not dwelling on them. We're just going through an exercise. 
And it's actually an ancient Stoic practice that they called pre-meditatio malorum, which is a pre-meditation of evils. Uh, and, and the Stoics would practice this. They would sit down and they would contemplate the worst thing that could happen for them. And, and as individual uh, people, it might have been like their death. They would think about their own death, the end of their life. Um, and maybe, you know, what would it mean? What would they be experiencing? What would they be regretting as they end, came towards the end of their lives? What relationships, what family members would be affected? And you sit down and you premeditate on this evil, this terrible thing. And then you sit back and go, all right, let me, let me sort out some things. Let me sort out some things in my life and some relationships. And so that when, when I get to that point at the end of my life, which is inevitable, we're going to die. When we get to the end of our lives, um, we can get to the end of our life, which is a better option than this negative one that we just imagined. So, so it was helpful for that. For ourselves as a, as a negative future scenario, it's also really powerful. <clears throat> We, we want to sit down and, and imagine the future of our business or our life or our project, whatever it is, if things got really, really bad. And the really, really bad could be something personal. It could be a personal illness or it could be a disaster in our business. It could be another pandemic that, you know, that, that catches us or something like that that is kind of world-changing. And this is not a pleasant exercise. And, and when I talk about it with clients, I literally say to them, don't do this unless you're in a safe place physically and at a safe time of the week. Don't do it on a Monday morning. <laughs> do not do it before a meeting with clients. And don't do it right before you have to spend time with your children because you, you want some space to work through this. But sit down and imagine this is my business and things could go wrong. Um, and that, you know, what would that mean? Would I have to retrench staff? Would I have you know, to um, have to pay off debts that I'm now not earning enough income to cover? Um, have I overextended myself and leasing property or leasing equipment or getting loans from the bank? Um, and you, you think about all of those things. And now you've got a new chemical reaction. This is what, the cortisol? This is cortisol, adrenaline, yeah, a drop of dopamine. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of that is happening. And the brain doesn't know that this isn't real. The, you know, the, the brain sees you thinking about this and thinks it could be real. So it does all the chemical stuff to help our bodies to, to respond, to stay safe. Um, mm. So we want to do this in a safe place. And again, the, the chemicals happen. It has an effect on the body. There's the sweaty palms, the dry throat, the nausea, the sound in our ears, the spots in our eyes. <laughs> and I've got stories about all of those. We experience those things. But we want to experience it and then say, okay, body, brain, I hear you, but this isn't real. This is just an exercise. Take a bit of a walk if you need to. Sit down and then say, all right, now what practical things do I need to do to avoid that? Okay, so let's not take that, that extra loan that the bank is keen for us to take. Let's not hire five new staff members full-time. Let's, let's hire two and get a few others on contract or part-time uh, or you know, floating staff. And, and you find better ways to make a plan so that you can avoid the potential disaster. So now what you're sitting with is a range of plans from brilliant to awful with middle in the middle. And, and now your brain is going, oh, okay, I see what you've done. We're going into the future. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen. There's a lot of variables, but we're prepared. We've got plans. There are things in place. We don't have to be anxious about the unknown because we've named it. 
we, we've given it a name. We've, we said it could be a loss of clients or it could be a pandemic or a war. It could be, you know, and we've given those names. We've got plans in place. And now we can get on with working towards the better options, um, avoiding the negative things. And we can identify flags or indicators. So if something happens out there in the world or something happens on our bank report, all of a sudden we're starting to see indicators that show us how to avoid negative things and how to move towards the better things. But we're dwelling on creating um, agency for ourselves into the future rather than just dwelling on all these terrible things could happen because that's not helpful to us at all. So I think what you're saying is this very deliberate thinking and and sort of bringing those fears actually into light and just, and engaging with them empowers you. And it gives you the the ability to take action towards um, preparing for the future in a very proactive sort of a way. And that would be very good for your well-being because that sense of empowerment, that sense of I've got the controls in my hands mm-hmm. uh, is, is very, very uh, potent towards developing well-being. So um, I love that. It reduces your stress. It gives you um, better sleep. It gives you better energy. And uh, just, yeah, on the whole, it's just really good for you. Um, But, uh, and it really strikes me as being, I always love that serenity prayer. God help me to accept the things I cannot change, um, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And uh, it really sounds like on many levels, you're bringing some things that would otherwise have been in that I can't control column into the control column so that you can do something about them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of this, so many variables, so many ways things that, you know, could unfold. And when people look at it, their initial thought is, um, it can't go that way, or that would be terrible, or I would hate that, or I could never do this. And they make these very definitive statements about how they will respond. Um, and a lot of the the a lot of what we believe, we definitely, you know, believe and, and, and take as a position is not actually true. It's just something that we kind of inherited from other people or inherited from you know the, the society around us. If we sit down and and take time for a bit of a philosophical reflection about what our values are, what we really want out of life, and if we do that honestly and deeply enough, sometimes we go, oh, hang on, that is not the end of the world. Um, There are other ways of doing it. We we saw this during COVID. There were a lot of, of many families around the world where both parents were out at work. And so, you know, their mornings are rushed. They send their children to school. They go off to work and, you know, do their busy work and they're pursuing their careers and their ambition. Um, the children are taken care of by all pairs or, you know, school, uh, after school programs. And then they come home and there's a rush and tomorrow they're going to do it all over again. And they have to do it because they've got a lifestyle and they've got, you know, mortgages to pay and they've got car repayments and they've got that holiday when they're going to rest for, you know, 12 days on holiday with the children once a year. And, and they believe that that was what they wanted. And then, COVID and lockdowns forced everybody home. So they're sitting at home and they're working together and they're, you know, a bit of uh, time in the beginning, which would have been very stressful. But then they realized what joy they were getting from their families and how they could, what they were actually really enjoying, what the real wealth of life was, just slowing down, appreciating, being in the moment, going for a walk together. And many of those families chose not to go back to their two-parent high-powered 
um, ambitious careers afterwards. And they redefine their families. Fam families have moved out of the cities, you know, to rural areas. They're doing homeschooling or they're working online and virtually because they've, they, they've suddenly realized what their real values are because they had to pause and, and kind of investigate that. And we need to put that into our lives. We need to pause and investigate and find out what our real values are. And then some of those concerns about the future aren't they aren't concerning anymore. They're not worrying because um, we don't need to resist them anymore. Yeah, I love what you say because that enables you through reflection to be able to make sure that you are actually taking the trajectory of your life where you want it to go yeah. rather than just allowing it to happen and then suddenly getting to your deathbed and saying, where did my life go? How did it yeah. turn out like this? But you're actually in charge, yeah, which is so aligned to well-being. So thank you for putting it like that, Charlotte. Yeah. One thing that, um, you know, you, br you brought up the pandemic and, and uh, you know, so many unpredictable things do happen that, that we could never possibly have been able to predict. And a lot of people fear the future partly because of those, but also partly avoid the future because they just don't know what to even imagine. Um, and and you know, um, how do you, can you talk a little bit to that? How do we deal with the completely unpredictable and unprecedented and unimaginable things that actually do happen? Yeah. Um, all right. I am by no means a sporty person like yourself. Um, I admire all the, the things that you do. <laughs> um, so I've never tried to, to do surfing, but I have friends and I live by the coast. So I see it quite often. And, and sometimes I imagine you know how a surfer um deals with the world because when you're surfing you you know you got to get the wave at the right you know position and you got to get your own speed right and your own angle right and you're moving constantly so that you can stay on balance on top of that board so you're having to stay on balance on top of a board that is moving on top of a wave that is moving forward but also can just crash like that in a moment and all of a sudden you've got to you're you're plunging um down meters at a time and then you got to kind of catch again and then take off and and good surfers make that look beautiful bad surfers you know come up you know with you know sand in their um, ears and nose and mouth so when, when we look at the future many people especially people who are um skilled ambitious got some education um have a career that they're designing uh, many people want to be in control. And the more they define, I want to be in control of things, I want to know what is happening, I want to take care of any ev eventualities, the more anxious they are because they're too rigid in response to things that are happening. And um, so they couldn't, you know, imagine a high-powered executive with a briefcase and a suit on, on, a, on a surfboard. They, they can't respond. So we need to find ways to just relax a little bit. Uh, and and respond to what is happening, but not just not not as a victim, not just stand here and say, okay, something's going to happen next and I have to respond to it. But if we've done some exercises and prepared in terms of thinking about the future, um, we can't define everything, but we can be sure that we we can actually rely on ourselves. We can rely on our intuition, our creativity. We can rely on the fact that we have developed certain skills that will allow us to respond to a circumstance in the, in the future for a better outcome than if we hadn't done any preparation at all. So we cannot prepare for everything, but we can prepare ourselves to be more flexible and agile and responsive. 
Um, and, and every time we feel like we're trying to define and control, just to say that that's not going to work. If the more rigid we are, the more painful it is um, when, you know, when we fall, when we can kind of crash down with our surfboard or something like that. So, yeah, a lot of it is, is that kind of mindset of knowing that things will have change in the future, but actually being able to trust ourselves as humans and trust the, the community that we're in, that we can find better ways to respond. Having mm. said that, bad things happen in life. It's, it's not pretending that we do a bit of futures thinking exercises and nothing bad will ever happen. I mean, we're not talking about a fantasy. We're talking about preparing for the reality of life. I love that analogy because if you think about it, the the surfer is, uh, you know, has developed his core strength, has developed his balance. He's got all these skills which are supporting him coping with the unpredictability of the of the ocean and the waves. So uh, yeah, I really love that. And thank you for sharing that because it's, it's so visual for me. Um, yeah, as, as you say, um, life it, 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 in reality is not utopia. Mm. And, and I often think that that's one of the things that causes the greatest suffering in life for all of us is that we unconsciously predict or want to predict that we're going to have a happy ever after life. You know, we, we we learned about it in our fairy tales that we were uh, read as children, poor us. And and so, you know, the princess and the prince live happily ever after in their, you know, lovely palace and with their beautiful faces and healthy bodies and everything's, you know, it's totally euphoric forevermore. And that is just so not reality. Um, and, and I think one of the... If I think about it, one of the futuristic thinking or futures thinking, I know I keep saying futuristic, sorry, futures thinking uh, that actually my parents raised me with is to say life's not a bed of roses. And and I think to know and to be aware that it's going to go up and down, they're going to be um, uphills where it's tough and you're carrying a heavy load up a hill and then there'll be the easy coasting downhills where everything just flows and it's super easy. And, and I think when we can anticipate that and trust that we've got the skills to cope with it, yeah. um, that we are, you know, a, a much better place to actually flow with life when the way it shows up. Yeah. And um, I've always um, carried in my mind this belief that nothing comes into my reality that doesn't serve me. I, it's a mantra I hold and uh, you know over this past year where I um, have had to literally rebuild my my life and my body and my health and everything after my accident I have really really uh, you know repeated that over and over to myself but I love the way you've called me to be aware that actually the skills I developed prior to then empowered me to handle what could never have been predicted yeah. um, you know, I've never known. So I really love how you have put that. One of the things that makes us um, afraid of the future is um, things like artificial intelligence and um, technology and the things which, well, certainly for me, seem to be um, so, uh, so much bigger than we are and so much uh, able to ruin the world, so to speak. How 
can you advise people to to deal with the fear of that? You know, people say that AI is going to take away so many jobs and, you know, so many people's careers aren't going to exist in five years' time and, and, and. How, how do we deal with the fear that that evokes? Okay, um, that's really good because, first of all, there, there are you know, real disruptions uh, in the past that, that we've experienced. And, and any time a new uh, tool or platform or technology comes around, it does, it does create disruption uh, and shakes up an industry. And there will be some people who will suffer for that. There will be some people who might lose their jobs. Um, so it, it's not to say that it's, when something happens, it's going to be terrible for everyone or great for everyone. There's, there are going to be kind of um, some winners and some losers. But I like to think of these things very practically as a tool um, rather than look at, you know, each one individually. We could be talking about self-driving cars and automation and AI and all the range of different AI tools that are out there uh, and, uh, you know, computers and laptops and cell phones. All of these are tools and technologies that have come in that have caused some people to lose their jobs and have created new opportunities for others. But let's just talk about it as a very, very simple tool. And I have this um, this story from when I was much younger that helps me every time I get worried about, you know, how, how things will be used in the future. My mom used to do wood carving and she had this range of beautiful wood carving tools and she would get this plank of wood and she'd have a draw a design on it and she'd chip out all the wood. And um, this was obviously long before YouTube. So she would actually have an actual coach, a human come and teach her how to do these things and, and, you know, help her with her skill and give her feedback. And she developed her skill with this wood carving. Um, she used to get commissions. I got some pieces in my own home here. She did some beautiful work. But one day she's got this piece lined there and she's not in the room. And I think I'm going to help her. So I take the wood carving tool and I just start gouging wood out. And luckily she came and rescued her her masterpiece from me just moments before I completely ruined it. Um, and I dug out too much wood and too deep, but she sanded it, she stained it, she finished it off. And nobody could tell about her and I where I had caused that damage. And I wondered about it for ages. Like I watched my mom do this. Why couldn't I do the same thing that she could? But I wasn't being coached. I wasn't practicing my skill. I was just trying to emulate, to copy. And then years later, it, it kind of crossed my mind. It, it, this really has, you know, dwelt with me for a very long time. Um, I imagined if somebody had walked into our house and picked up that same wood carving tool and came and threatened us with it. They literally, I mean, it's a sharp wood carving tool. They, they could have, you know, killed us with, with this very neutral tool. The tool itself was not responsible for anything. In, in my hands, it made a mess. In my mom's hands, it made a masterpiece. And in a criminal's hands, it could have maimed. So the tool itself is neutral. And how are we choosing to use it? So artificial intelligence um, is here. We already use it. It's already embedded into things. We're just hearing a lot more talk about it at the moment because there have been some huge advances which indicate that we could do phenomenal things with this tool. We could create our own masterpieces, but only if we learn how to use it. And obviously the headlines are blaring because we, you know, people who have websites need you to click on those links so that they can get some advertising in front of you. So let's not get sucked into all of the hype about it. Um, this is a tool and in some people's hands, it doesn't work. So I'm a futurist. I should know about these things, but I'm a late adopter. It's, it's really embarrassing. And um, my husband 
learned about the, the all these AI tools. He started practicing with them. He took two or three days off from work just to play around with them and see what he could create. And then he keeps kind of feeding that information back to me. So I use one of the tools that, that he's recommended. I open it up on my website. I start asking it to do certain things. And the results I'm getting are lame. They're, they're boring. They're ordinary. They're useless. I complain to my husband. He takes the same information, but he uses it. He crafts new prompts in creative ways that he has learned how to use in just a few days. And he comes up with powerful results for me that I can now actually put into my work. So it's just a tool. And if, we, if we're not using it well, um, it, it's going to be insignificant. If we don't know how to or don't learn how to use it, we can't incorporate that into the work that we're doing so that we can enhance our work. Um, and yes, at some point, somebody is going to use these tools and try and do something bad with them. But that has happened with every tool we've ever had. And it's not the tool's fault. Uh, it's just how we respond to it. And having said all of that, with all the trends that are out there, there is still a choice for us as human beings to create a world, a, a market, um, a lifestyle that opts out of some of these things. There are still enough people in the world that we could sell our skill or our products to. That means that we don't have to, we don't even have to be online. We don't have to, um, you know, connect with all these tools. There are plenty of people living really wonderful, significant lives without having uh, to use all the tools that are out there that we're hearing about. Wow, what a fantastic story to tell to really uh, create the, the understanding. So I really, really love your story. And uh, you're right, these things are just tools and not to be feared in and of themselves. I think one of the things that, you know, pops into my brain as I listen to you is, is that when you dig your heels in and refuse to go with the flow and go with the new tools which are now available, it is a choice and it may be good for you but it may also harm you because it may make your life less easy or effortless uh, than it could be um, and so it, it's a choice to maybe remake on a regular basis and not just say i'm avoiding technology but daily to say and this technology and that technology you know so that you can see what what you do want to incorporate in your life again it comes back to that choice so thank you for that Yo, I love that. I really do love that story because it's really clear for me now. It's a tool, not something to be feared. Um, Charlotte, have you got some kind of a process that you recommend for people, some kind of a way that they can take this information that you've shared with us and put it into some sort of practical action in their lives? Thank you. You know, a lot of what, what we do, we really want to start with philosophy. We, we, we need to sit down and have some philosophical conversations with others and with ourselves to understand our values and our intentions. And that is really important. But as humans, we also need to see some practical progress. So what do we do? There are so many uh, models and analogies and tools out there for futures thinking. Uh, and depending on which futures you're talking to, you're going to hear about one or another. We talked about scenarios. We talked about trends. We talked about a little bit about change. There's, there, are, there are so many of these tools. But here's a, a really, really simple four-stage model that you can use for any project where you're looking towards the future. In fact, any project at all that you're doing will fall into these four stages. And anything that you hear from any futurist, if you look really carefully, you can plug that into one of these four stages. So the first part is to gather intelligence. So what is out there that you need to know about your project or about your company, your business, your career? 
What data do you need? Uh, what stories are out there? What analogies, what models, what trends? You get all that information together so that you've gathered that and then you know how, you know, what you're dealing with. Otherwise, you're just kind of making something up in a vacuum. So that's stage one, gather intelligence. Stage two is to manage change because now you're going to need to evolve or change to respond to the future, or you're going to need to change in direction of your career if you want to do something different. Uh, if you're working with a team, you you might be visionary, you might have these exciting ideas, but your team is stuck or anxious about the past or about the future, and you need to help them and take care of that team so that they can move into the future. So managing change is really important. There's models, there's process, there's so much good learning in that change management space. That's the second stage. The third stage is to describe the future. So you're describing the future that you want. That's where our three scenarios come in. Our, you know, best case, worst case, and middle of the road scenario. Um, if we've done that exercise, but we're trying to move our team towards something, we want to cast a vision about the future. This is where we're really leaning into the law of attraction because we're, we're putting those things in place so that we can, you know, we can bring the the future closer to us quicker so that we can we can get there and and have this life or this experience that we're looking for. So we describe the future. Again, lots of really good models and, and content there. So we go on, gather intelligence, manage change, describe the future. And then our fourth stage is to test our strategy. And here you're looking at key performance indicators or any of the other metrics that you need to test. Or you're looking at how do you actually create a project plan or a Gantt chart or something towards getting to, to that future. So one of the exercises is to say, um, you, you made this whole picture. Imagine you are now five years in the future. You've achieved this. What happened last week in order for you to get here? And what happened the week before that or the month before that? And you almost create a project plan unraveling your success coming backwards so that you can now move that uh, project forward. So you find ways to test that strategy so that you can get closer to the preferred future that you are looking for. Four stages, gather intelligence, manage change, describe the future, test your strategy. That is a futures plan just in those four stages, which you can use right now. And anything else that you learn as you go deeper and deeper into learning futures thinking will plug into any of those four stages. I love it. Uh, you know, I think one of the hardest things is to actually uh, allow for change uh, because <clears throat> not just manage it because change is happening whether we like it or not and uh, when we avoid change or we try and, uh, to keep things the way they are and they're changing we are fighting with reality and uh, so I, I think to actually make that a second step once you've gathered the intelligence to actually manage the change accept the change allow for the change and manage it to give yourself some sort of control over it is is really helpful and then i love uh, that there's these two other stages one of them being um and i've often said to people just and i say it in my own life all the time act stop check take an action stop and check the outcome does it work so that's all very well for the present but for the future you can do the same thing take an action in your mind imagine an action plan and action and then see if it's going to work yeah, yeah that's really great so so what do you in um recommend to people i mean are you a vision boarder are you uh you know what hard what uh sort of mindfulness or or meditative practices do you do and recommend 
anything that works for you. Um, you know, th th we, we have so many different ways of describing um, our future or what it is we're trying to achieve or to kind of wrestle with things. I, I love vision boards, but I don't have the patience to kind of put a, a, a decent one together. And I always kind of forget where I've put them um, or why I've created them. Um, I also work with uh, with mantras, so kind of like a defining statement about where you want to be or the process that you're on getting there. Um, and that's a very kind of a responsible one, taking responsibility for for where I'm at rather than, you know, just feeling like I'm victim of, of things that are happening. Um, a lot of it is, is mindset, being really intentional about taking ownership of things. Uh, so one of my values is agency. Uh, I want to have a agency over my future. And when I'm working with people, I want them to have agency over their future. I don't want us to be asking someone else for permission um, in order to do something that is meaningful for us. So, um, you know, being really clear on our values and then running everything past our values is another really good way to, to see how we're preparing for the future. If, and, and I say this knowing that for decades, I ignored values. I thought, you know, all the corporate talk about values and mission statement and, and vision statement, it, it just, they all sounded corporate. They all sounded um, kind of contrived. And when I sat down and did a very, very logical, analytical approach to working out my values, once I discovered them, it was astounding how they actually helped me to relax about certain things that, that I suddenly realized didn't matter. And then really to appreciate those parts of my life that I was investing in and, and making work in, in different ways. So yeah, a really clear understanding of your values will guide you very well into the future. How did you find out your values? How did you go about identifying them? I went onto the internet and I searched for all the values exercises and people got different sets of values. And I pulled all of those values into one Google Doc, which is like eight pages long. And then I sorted them into kind of categories. And then I sat down and looked at these values and I, I had to go through this part and go, I know all of these things are important. They're all good values, but they're not all my highest values. And so I kept sorting them and kind of like just ranking one above the other. So a whole bunch kind of went down to the bottom and then I kept seeing what kind of filtered up. And then I would choose a few and say, I like these, let me see. And then I'd spend a week or two with a little kind of a flashcard in my pocket. Like, you know, do these values match what I'm doing, how I'm experiencing life? You know, what do I do when my, I've got time off or when I'm talking to a client or talking with my family? And I went through them and through them until I distilled what I really, really believed in. An agency is one that does not appear on, on most lists, um, but all the work that I've ever done is to be able to pass on to someone else the, the permission, the insight, the understanding that they must have agency and appreciate agency over their own lives uh, rather than being permission seekers. And I realized that I've raised my children the same way. So they are, they're not rebellious, um, but they are a lot more clear-minded and sure of their own opinions than other people might feel comfortable with. But for me, it was important. That was more important than polite children. So agency is one. Um, alchemy is one. Um, alchemy, you don't find that on any list, but alchemy is this willingness to experiment, um, to, to co-create, to share ideas, to try and come up with something else. Um, and something else for me is one of the third values is uh, transcendence, to, to go beyond what we are and what we have. Um, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be ambitious. Um, we, we can enjoy very simple life. 
but some people want to find out what, what else are they capable of doing? What, what kind of challenges are there that are out there? What can they create with their lives? So we want to transcend and just not be boring, um, not have boring lives, actually find ways to, to express that. Um, so, so those are some of my highest values. I love your creative process of, of getting to those. Um, and, and, and also, you know, how incredibly important it is to have that information about yourself. What are your highest values? And, and then you can serve life through that value serve. And, uh, and, you know, you'll leave what isn't important for you out and, and take what is important for you. Sure, Charlotte, I could carry on talking to you for the next three months. And uh, now that I've decided that thinking about the future is of use, I've, I'm going to go and do your process and in many aspects of my life and, uh, and really try and um, be deliberate about taking proactive uh, planning steps. Um, you know, it, it just if you think about uh, a few weeks ago, we did a podcast with Anne Wilson, the wealth chef, yes. and she was saying, you know, plan for the future. You know, have you done what you need to for if you should die, and have you planned for your retirement, and are you saving? And and uh, you know, that's futures thinking. So you've really opened my mind today. And made me think about it in a totally different way. Yes, I can see you want to say something. I, I, I can add something to that because that's lovely. And, and I come from financial services originally. So how I often think about it when people say, oh, there's too much to do today. We don't have enough time. Uh, we've got projects and deadlines. We don't have time to think about the future. Uh, in the same way that we say, oh, we got you know so many debts or so many bills right now. We don't have time to say, we don't have money to save for the future. But we should really should, at a minimum, be saving 10% of our money for the future. There's no reason why we can't take 10% of our week, take a few hours, and just put them aside to invest in the future. And if we invest 10% of our time into the future, then our future will be better. We won't have these same challenges on our calendars in the future because we prepared for it. And we will be able to relieve our mind and, and our bodies of the concern of this unknown future because we've spent a bit of time there so we can be more better invested in the present moment um, and, and actually achieve more out of this present moment because we're not, uh, we don't have our attention split and, and our minds anxious about something that we can't actually put our finger on. Wow. Investing time in the future. I never thought about it like that, but <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sure. Thank you so much for all this, uh, that you've shared with us today, all these pearls of wisdom and and really your insight, which has obviously come from a lot of research and a lot of uh, um, deep thinking about the subject, but also from your very creative way of thinking and your creative mind. So, yeah, uh, I've really gained a huge insight and learned a lot from talking to you. And I look forward to many more conversations, Charlotte. So uh, we'll definitely have to get you back to share us for us the next bit and what we can do next. But thank you so, so much. And uh, how can people get hold of you if they um, want some special coaching or some work with their teams or their businesses or a talk that you do? How do they best get hold of you? Oh, thank you. Um, so uh, people can find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me at Charlotte Kemp and you'll see that I'm called Futures Alchemist there. And I've got a website called Futures Alchemist where we talk about futuresalchemist.com where we talk about some of the um, programs and uh, workshops and there's a whole range of 
kind of introductory books on different topics about futures thinking to get you started on that process, uh, which is really important. Um, so you can find me on, on that website and on LinkedIn. And you've written a couple of books, not one either, about a couple. A couple um, of books, yeah. Yeah, I, I, wrote, I wrote one called Futures Alchemist, and it's a narrative that really impacts that, that, that four-stage model, but in, in a lot of depth, and applies it to um, how that kind of thinking can apply to a corporate environment, to a startup environment, and to people's careers. Um, so it was quite a, a fun uh, exercise to write that. Uh, so that's called Futures Alchemist, and it's on Amazon. And then there's a couple of other books that are short books, um, Futures Literacy, so how we begin thinking about the future. Uh, there's one about um, Conscious Futurist. So how do we develop our conscious approach to creating a future that we want to live in that is a benefit for, for everyone? Um, and there's uh, how to be your company's chief futures thinking officer. So if you're at a senior level in the organization, why do you need uh, futures thinking for that? Brilliant. And those are all available on Amazon? They're all on Amazon, yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Charlotte. And uh, have a wonderful rest of the day. And I will be making time tonight to think about my future. So <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much Thanks for the time. Bye, Charlotte.